you got your Bibles there, I'll get you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read uh, three verses. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. <clears throat> so Peter here gives, gives this injunction to, to the church, the church he's writing the letter to. He's like, as obedient children, as ones who have been redeemed by the Lord, those who have been adopted into His family, your calling is to be holy as He is holy. And so this morning, what we're actually going to talk about is we're actually going to talk about holiness, what it is, what it looks like in the life of the church. And, 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 and so one of the challenges with holiness is it's kind of one of those Christianese terms. You know, if you've been if you've been in churches long enough, you 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 have a pretty good gist of what holiness is and and what it looks like. But <clears throat> if we really get down to brass tacks, and you ask, can you define what holiness is? Quite often, people will give you a, a, a definition, probably akin to, you know, well, it's separation from sin, and, and that's a, that's a good definition. That's a working definition of, of of holiness that you've been operating under. That's a good that's a good place to start. That's a, that's a good uh, understanding of it. Um, but I want to I want to take us deeper this morning into our understanding of what holiness really is, what it actually looks like when it is played out in the life of a believer. And so we want to try and dispel that sort of Christianese type language this morning. Um, you know, we, you know, God's holy, and so we should be holy, and, and you know, enough said, and, and we all understand what that means, though we can't really sort of define it in so much. You know, it's, it's like those terms like glory. If I ask you to define what's glory, and I know a lot of people in their minds that they're thinking, you know, some shiny being, like it's like it's like this is like some radiance. It's like well, this is the, you know, it's like define what glory is. You know, it's like the soft pad hits, and it's like, you know, oh, that's glory. We know that. You know, <clears throat> you know, uh, holiness, what, what, you know, sanctification. And, and, and we speak a lot of Christianese terms, and we assume a lot of the time that we know and understand what all of these terms mean. But do we really, have we really let the meaning, have we really let the essence of these terms go down deep and dwell within our hearts and, and, and change us and challenge us and transform us. And so, <clears throat> so we're asking ourselves the question, first of all, you know, if, God, if, if, if God is calling us to be holy because He is holy, and this makes sense because we're made to be His image bearers, which means we're made to represent His character. And so God, if God is holy, we should also be like Him and be holy. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like for us to be holy? <clears throat> And however we define this holiness is going to be really important. It's going to be really important for, for how we actually live the Christian life. Because remember, your conception of God is, is probably one of the most important things about you. And that's not my idea. I stole it from somebody else, and I can't remember exactly who it was I stole it from just now. But, <clears throat> but your conception of who God is is probably one of the most important things about you. However you conceive of God, when your, your mental picture of who He is will begin to shape 
how you act and how you behave and, and, and how you actually live your life. If you, if you believe that God is overly harsh, that if he is, if he is stingy, if you, if you believe that, that he is a, a hard man, you know, if he, is, if he is a hard God, then you, in turn, will become hard. You'll be, you, you, you will actually become like the one you worship. And so our conception of who God is in his holiness is very important for us to nail down. It's very important for us to get right. So what are the, some of the first things we think about when we think about the term holiness? And if, you, if you're new to church, if you're new to Christian culture, maybe some of this stuff just it won't come to mind at all. But for those who have been in church for long enough, you'll probably have picked up enough of a, a, a Christianese uh, understanding of what holiness is to, to say things like, well, holiness looks like purity. It looks like purity. It looks like being pure and undefiled by sin. Or, or holiness looks like separation from sin. And like I said before, that's a, that's a good working definition. Being separate from sin. Being holy to the Lord. In, in the temple, in the Old Testament, in, in the temple, they would have vessels and instruments that were specially cleansed and were holy for the use of the Lord. And they were to be used in the temple only and only for His service. And these, these items were considered holy because they were set apart. They were set apart from everything that was unclean. They were set apart from common use. They were set apart to the Lord. And this is, this is part of what holiness is. <clears throat> and so how do we live holy? If we're called to be holy, we want to live holy because we're made in His image. He's redeemed us by the cross, and we are called to be holy. How are we going to live holy? What does this actually look like? <clears throat> And I want to put forward this morning, I want to put forward this morning that, that holiness looks like, in its most purest essence, love. Holiness in its purest essence looks like love. And I think it's important that we have that emphasis on holiness, because if we simply define holiness as separation from sin, then what does that say about the character and nature of who God is? You see, God was holy long before sin existed. And so however we're defining holiness has to have had its definition before sin ever existed for him to be separate from. And I believe at the very essence of it, what God calls us to be, the character he calls us to embody, is that of love. The very love that exists between all the members of the Godhead, between the Father and the Son, between the Son and the Spirit, between the Spirit and the Father, this perfect, this perfect self-sacrificing, this perfect loyal love. Now, <clears throat> unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of the time when we talk about love, we talk about a love that isn't really love. What I mean by that is this. So often when we talk about love, we, we simply talk about acceptance or saying anything that goes. Or that, that nothing that anybody else ever does, is, we just have to accept it and that, and that it's okay and that, and that God is okay with sin and that God is okay with with, with um you know, all, all manner of sin and all, all manner of rebellion, well, because he's love, so he's going to be cool with it. But that's not true love. 
That's not true love at all. And so for holiness, holiness is incredibly daunting for a lot of people. It's incredibly daunting for a lot of people because holiness is... I'll start at a different point. I'll start at a different point. The Bible talks about how there's this corruption in mankind because of the fall. Sin. Right? Where we exchange the glory of the immortal God for that of, of birds and lizards and, you know, basically we worshiped the creation rather than the creator. And this actually caused us to sin, caused us to fall, caused a corruption to enter into the earth, not only in our persons, but in, in we, we now live in this kingdom of darkness. From the moment we're born, from the moment we're born, we're, we're trained in the patterns and the ways of sin. There's a way that this world works, <clears throat> and it is sinful. It's in rebellion to God and the goodness of His ways. And, and Throughout the Old Testament especially, we, we get this depiction of, of God's holiness being a dangerous thing. God's holiness being a dangerous thing. Whenever people encounter the holiness of God, they, 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 they have this experience of being undone. This experience of, this experience of, oh, of, of, of unraveling. This experience of, of fear that there's something fundamental about them that is coming into conflict with something that is fundamental about who God is and it's described as His holiness and it produces this holy fear. And so, if that, is, if, that, if that experience, you, what, what is this experience that people are experiencing? I remember meditating upon this and going, if, if I genuinely believe that God's, at His essence, his, his love is His holiness, this pure, unadulterated love is His holiness, what are they experiencing here in the Old Testament when they encounter His holiness? And, and, and this, this almost fearful undoing as Isaiah would encounter in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. What are they experiencing? When I believe the, the, the conclusion I came to is what they are experiencing when confronted with the purest, most unadulterated version of love is the clear and stark reality that there is so much about who we are that is not love. It is not self-sacrificing. It is not pure. It is not egotistical. It is not patient. It is not kind. It is not... And, and, and when confronted with that so clearly, we can no longer hide behind the veil of, well, everybody else lives this way, so I'm probably okay. When confronted with the purity and the holiness and the love of His character, the truest sense of His character, it is a very confronting and a very undoing moment for us. So when we talk about the love of God here in this church, that's what we are talking about. When we talk about how God loves you, the goal is for to get you to encounter that love, that love that has no choice but to transform those who it comes into contact with. There is no conflict between God's love and His holiness. The holiness is very daunting for a lot of people. Because sin is so often people's reprieve from the world. The world is, is full of sin. The world is full of brokenness. The world is full of hurt. And quite often people's sins are, are reactions out of the wounds that they've been inflicted by the world. Your young men who have never experienced true, unadulterated love 
turn to things like pornography, to get something close, to try and get something that, 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 that feels for a moment like love. And they, they, they willingly buy into a lie for a moment just to get some kind of comfort or reprieve. People have been incredibly hurt in their lives. They, they turn to drugs and they turn to alcohol. Which we know, people know this is destructive, a destructive pattern of living, and yet they do it anyways because they're, 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 it's their reprieve. It's their reprieve because for the moment that they're intoxicated, that, that limited amount of time, for the moment they can forget just how damaging, just how broken they really are. And so for people, when, when, when they are confronted with the holiness, it's often very challenging because, because in a lot of ways, people still love their sin. Because, and why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they love their sin? For a lot of people, it's been their reprieve. It's been their comfort. It's been their joy. When God calls us to holiness, he's not calling us to holiness because he try, he, he's, his desire is to take away our joy. He's not calling us to holiness because his desire is to take away our pleasure. He is calling us to holiness because his pleasures, his joys, his happiness, his love is more deep, more profound, more transforming, more important than anything else you can experience in this world. So God is not okay with sin. Never has been. Because of what it does to you. Imagine you have a child. Those of you who have children, those of you who have children in this room, those who had children in this room who are of school age, you know what it's like when your kid comes home and they tell you about this other kid in school. And you're like, I don't like that kid. That kid's a bad egg. And you don't like the influence that that kid has over your kid. You begin to dislike that kid. If you've ever experienced a child being bullied, your love that you have for your child brings up a holy and righteous anger towards that bully. God's love for mankind brings up a holy and righteous anger towards sin. Not because he doesn't want you to have pleasure. Not because he doesn't want you to have joy. But because of what it is doing to you. It's because it sold mankind a lie. And instead of delivering on its promises, it simply enslaved and subjugated mankind to a lie. It destroys mankind to a lie. This is, what, this is why throughout the scriptures it talks about those who continue in the way of death will lead to destruction. These who continue in this way of life will lead to death. God is the God of life and he wants to give this life to us as his people. He wants to give true, everlasting, living hope and life to mankind. It is motivated by love that he does that. It is motivated by love that he calls you to a holiness that is characterized by First and foremost, by love. So how do we grow in holiness? How do we grow in holiness? <clears throat> There's all sorts of manners and techniques that, that we as Christians have learned over the years to help us restrain ourselves from sin. 
And those are good. Those are good things. But being restrained from sin is very different from being free from sin. Do you understand that distinction? There's a difference between being able to hold back the tide of your sinful desires and actually being transformed by the love of God in such a way that the sinful desires no longer have power over you. How do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we're actually transformed by His love so that we are genuinely free from sin, that we can be genuinely holy and live out of that holy character of love that God has in the Godhead? Well, I'm going to get you to turn to 1 John chapter 1 because, believe it or not, this process is incredibly simple. I love that Philippe already mentioned this this morning. It's simple. It might be hard, but it is simple. This is what 1 John chapter 1 says. And, and it might be helpful for me to give you some background on what, what, what John is actually writing here. So, so John, John here in 1 John, he's probably maybe 90 years old. He's towards the end of his life. Um, he's been walking with Jesus for maybe 50 or so years now, right? Like he's been walking with Jesus for a long time. Actually, actually probably actually longer. I got my math wrong. I got my math wrong. Let's just say he's been walking with Jesus a long time, all right? <laughs> a very long time. And what I believe has actually happened in the church that John is writing to is that there's been a massive church split. And the church split has been over following another Messiah. That's why you'll actually find John quoting quoting um, things that these people are saying. It's like, well, you know, we still have fellowship with God, you know, well, we, and he's quoting and rebutting them. Right? They've gone after another Messiah. I think it's actually part of the fulfillment of, I think it's Matthew 24, when Jesus says, you know, um, they're going to say, oh, he's out here or he's in the shed, you know, don't go into the shed. The Messiah is not there. Um, I think it's probably a fulfillment of that. <clears throat> and so, in order to comfort this church who's remained, who's been torn apart by this rift, John comforts them in this. He says, look, what's interesting is he doesn't go to a theological argument, but he goes to an ethical and character argument. He says, look, this is the message we heard from him and we declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John is presenting this idea. These two ideas cannot coexist. You cannot simultaneously have genuine fellowship with God and continue walking in darkness. You cannot have genuine fellowship with God and continue walking in your sin. The two things are antithetical to one another. One will eventually push out the other. 
I believe it was John Owen says, you know, you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's no neutral ground in this. So if you, if you want to learn how to be holy, you could start by making a catalog of all your known sins and committing to yourself that you're never going to do them again. And you can make a catalog of all the sins of everybody else that you're aware of and make sure that you never do those and make sure you tell them that they shouldn't do them either. <clears throat> or, or, rather than trying to cut everything off, which you should still do, don't, don't play with sin. But rather you should pursue fellowship with the Lord. You should pursue fellowship with God. You know, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes people can get uncomfortable when we sing all these love songs to Jesus about how we love Him and how we want to be close to Him. You know, how, how, how we, we want to just give Him everything and all that we are. And sometimes people get really uncomfortable with this language because they, they, they're, not, they're not okay with intimacy themselves. But the reason why we sing that, the reason why we, we, we proclaim that with our lips in song, the reason why we hopefully are singing that song in our hearts is because we want to value the relationship with the Lord. We want Him to be actually precious to us because the beautiful thing is, is as we pursue Jesus, as we pursue Him as the love of our lives, as we pursue Him as our be-all and end-all, as, as the chief end of our lives, what it does by its natural consequence is it makes us sensitive to what sin is. You cannot draw close to God and still remain in your sin. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's in the Psalms. But more than that, as you draw close to him, you become more sensitive to the things that displease him. You become more sensitive to the things that, that he doesn't want in your life. You become more sensitive to the things that are holding you back from him. And the most beautiful thing about it is that as you pursue fellowship with God, you will find that sin begins dropping off. As you pursue learning to love the way that Jesus loves, you will begin to find, as you let the love of God work through your heart, work through all your character, work through all your being, you will find He begins to change and transform your interactions with everybody. And it's done in love. It's done in in love. True holiness is love. There's a reason why Jesus would say, all the law and the prophets hang on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. John will go on to say, John will go on to say, this is how you will know that we have fellowship with God. We will cease to walk in darkness and we will, people will know that we are His disciples by our love. We will be known by our love. Why? Because it's nice. It is nice. But because it represents Him. It represents His character. 
Paul would say, Paul would say in Colossians 3, <clears throat> Paul would say in Colossians 3 about, about putting off the old man, putting off the old self. He gives this big long list of sins. He says, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Uh, because of greed, which is, uh, because of these, God's wrath is coming on, on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. You are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of your Creator. Now, what's interesting is in Colossians 3, he goes on to say that. He's like, so put this stuff off. Here's what you need to put on. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. And then he goes on to say, above all, put on love. Above all, put on love. To the Corinthian church, he would say, earnestly desire the gifts, but especially you may prophesy, and pursue love above all these things, but still pursue the gifts. Love is holiness. Real love looks like holiness. If the love that you had in your mind, the love of God, was giving an excuse or a license for your sin, you have not yet conceptualized the true love of God. If that, if that, that is the conception of your love, if that is the conception of what love is and what God's love is, is that is, it is so easily used as an excuse for sin, then you have not conceptualized God's love correctly. I don't believe So how then do we fellowship with God? If, if by fellowshipping with God, we become holy by a, a natural expression, just like as we abide in Christ, as we abide in the vine of Christ, we naturally become fruitful, and we can bear no fruit apart from Him. It's a natural, you can't force fruit out. It comes as being a result of on the vine. So by abiding in Him, we naturally produce fruit. By fellowshipping with Him, we naturally become holy. We naturally cease to walk in darkness. How then do we fellowship with God? Firstly, in worship. In worship. Here at church, when you're in your home, when you're in your office, when you're on the bus, even without music, those times when you let your heart turn to Him and you consider all the ways that He is good, all the ways in which He is beautiful, all the ways in which He has poured out blessings and richness and, and mercy in the earth, all the goodness that you can be mindful of and thankful of and ask the Holy Spirit to bring more to mind. Worship Him. You fellowship with Him in prayer. And it's not just asking God for stuff. Though God desires to bless his children. He desires to answer your prayers. But prayer is not just asking him for stuff. Prayer is actually a, a communion with him. It's actually a talking with him. Do you debrief with God about your day? Do you have that relationship with him? I would encourage you to begin cultivating and developing that relationship where you talk to him and you allow his Holy Spirit to talk back to your heart. We fellowship with Him in His Word by spending time in this, by getting familiar with this book, 
Allowing the Holy Spirit to bring to life the words that are on the page, to bring to life the words that are in here, to allow them to become the very words of life to you, that speaks to your heart. We fellowship with Him in His Word. And in His church body. Probably one of the most neglected ways that we have for fellowshipping with God is actually to fellowship with His people. It's, what John, it's interesting because what John says here in 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light as He Himself in the light is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Love and unity within the body of Christ is a direct correlation, has a direct relationship with our relationship with God. There's no solo Christianing. There's no commando Christians who are dropped behind enemy lines all on their own and they're going to they're gonna go fight the enemy without any help. By coming and being part of a local body, by being part of the body of Christ, by interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ, you can begin to see in them the character of God. You begin to see it reflected in their face. You begin to see it reflected in their actions. Likewise, they begin to see it reflected in you, hopefully. But having fellowship with God by having fellowship with His people is important. Intimacy with God produces holiness. And holiness with God is a love affair. Is your time with Him precious? Do you love His Word? Do you love His people? You know that song we sung this morning? It says, Oh, I will lay my life on the altar. You are worth what you ask for. You are worth what you ask for. Everything of who we are, He is worth what He asks for. Is He precious to you? Is He precious to you? Greater devotion to Jesus would necessarily mean that you leave things behind. This is what, part of what I think it actually means to cultivate the fear of the Lord in your life. Some people never move past the being afraid of God's stage. They serve out of obedience because they're afraid of Him. But when you start there and fail to move into the knowledge of God, of who He is, knowledge of His ways, you begin to be fearful of losing Him. You begin to be fearful of leaving His ways because He's so good. His ways are so perfect that the greatest fear you have is being displeasing to Him. The greatest fear you have is, is leaving His path. The greatest fear you have is that He might withdraw His presence from you. This is David's cry. Oh God, take not Your Holy Spirit from me. True devotion to the Lord cannot be measured in outward action alone. True devotion to the Lord is something that comes from the inner heart. It would be possible 
it would be possible to follow all the commands of the law and still not be devoted to God. You know, we're, we're entering a time in the history of the church where we're in a, what's called a, a post-Christian era. There was a time when Christianity was the dominant religion. There was a time when Christianity was the dominant thought process. Everybody was a Christian because of, of the fact that they were born in the West. Church attendance was a cultural thing. <clears throat> and unfortunately, without a genuine turning of the heart to the Lord, you can restrain yourself from all manner of sinful things, and it won't be holy. The reason why we talk about God loving you, the reason why we talk about what it means to live in love, is because that's who He is. That's who He is. And if we are to be His disciples, it means that we are going to be made like Him. If we're going to be clothed in the glory that He has, the radiance of His character, if we're going to inherit that, I'm sure it will include some soft pads and some glowing light. But what it will mostly look like is you, in your character, being transformed to look like His character. It means you will look like Jesus. That's what we're going for. That's what we're striving for. To experience and to know the love of God. The love of God that transforms and gives life to everything it touches. So I'm going to invite the team back. I'm going to invite the team back just to, um, to lead us in a, another song. And I want to encourage you. God is moving in the earth. God was not put on hold because of a pandemic. He's moving in the earth and he is doing great and mighty things. And he is setting things up. I believe for a great move of the spirit. A great harvest of souls that's going to come in. My heart and my desire for each and every single one of you is that you would know and you would be there when it happens. That you would know and you'd be able to participate with and, and experience Him here and now in the things that He wants to do. So I'll, I'll get you to stand real quick. <clears throat> and if I could plead with you, I could plead with you. I know there are so many distractions in this world. There are so many enticing things in this world. There are so many things that would fill your heart with fear and anxiety and cause you to shrink back in this moment. Let me plead with you. Give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Wholeheartedly to Him. 
Let him have every aspect of your heart, every aspect of your life. Go before him this afternoon. Go before him tonight. Come to the worship tonight. Spend time with him here. And go before him and ask him, God, is there any part of my heart, any part of my life that is displeasing to you? Show me that I can live in your love. Show me that I can live according to your ways. Show me so that I can be pleasing to you. I want to go deeper. I want to go in. I want more of who you are. The beautiful promise of Scripture is this. He says that if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. And even in this moment, I believe He is drawing near to many of you. Give your heart, everything you have, over to Him to be transformed by His love. Jesus Jesus I, I pray that you would, you would lift the veil of our eyes to better see you to better behold you Jesus, I pray you would teach us your ways. I know, I know that we're adopted into your family and you adopt us in like kids from a bad background. We don't often know how to act right. But we trust that you're going to teach us your ways. Fill us with your love. Let it transform our hearts. Let it pour out into the world around us.